kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. Testicles, one, two, testicles. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Paranoid Radio Podcast. I'm your humble host, Trebles Garcia, and this is episode 199. Wow. First of all, I want to give thanks to the Lord for allowing me to be here today. I want to thank you guys for tuning in and allowing me to enter your space. And to remind you also that ParanoidRadio.com is now fully activated. You could also check out the last five episodes Absolutely free, and you could watch the last two episodes absolutely free while the website is under construction. Do not forget to drop a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It allows other people to enjoy the show as much as I enjoy making it. 199 means the world to me. 200 will mean even bigger. I've started this ep- this uh, this podcast as a hobby, and I found my ambition. I found what I'm really good at, and I'm getting better every single episode I go, and I must thank the Lord and you guys every single episode, every single way, uh, week for tuning in. Now, please, I have an amazing episode lined up with an amazing, amazing special guest. Please allow me to set the mood and jump in from the deep end of the pool. And I quote, spiritual mapping like is like a special forces within our military. So if you think about it, the Navy SEALs receive quality intelligence that allows them to operate with precision. And quote, Dr. Laura Sanger, legendary if you ask me. Now, Dr. Laura Sanger is a clinical psychologist, author of The Roots of the Federal Reserve, and a small business owner. Her current focus is awakening people to the spiritual battle at hand and the psychological warfare of the globalist agenda. Dr. Lauren Sanger has been involved in spiritual mapping for the past 25 years. She has participated in prayer initiatives on a citywide, statewide, nationwide, international level. She's passionate about seeing individuals, pro, uh, people, groups, and regions, and nations set free from the system of enslavement. This led her to write her book, The Roots of the Federal Reserve, Tracing the Nephilim from Noah to the U.S. Dollar. An investigative journey through time using spiritual mapping concepts and concepts to uncover the deep layers of defilement within our monetary system. Please give a warm welcome to the Honorable Dr. Laura Sanger from the No Longer Enslaved webpage. <laughs> <laughs> what an introduction. Thank you. It's great Woo. to be with you. <laughs> Thank you so much. I was trying not to stutter. I slew down through the middle. I was like, catch up, catch up. I want to thank you so much. I want to I want to make sure that people know where they can find you and where you're about. You were here before. Yeah. Uh, you did the Federal Reserve episode with Paranoia and you blew it up. And I don't know if you know this. I think I told you once you have the highest grossing episode until recently when we uh, season five started. You had the highest grossing episode at thirty five hundred the views within the first hour, I mean, the first week. So I was like, you know, I was amazed. Uh, I told wow. my my colleagues and my co-hosts, like, I need to get her back and, you know, help her out more. And then, but I, I need more to offer at this time. We only had 750 followers back then. We had a couple hundred views and downloads on our on our show. And now we, I think we could, uh, we have a broader view and a, a, a bigger a bigger extension on people on mass, right? So that's important also f- so that the information can stick to more people and you could pick up more sales. Now, Dr. Lauren Sanger, please let us know where they can find you. Uh, the best place is probably to reach me um, on my website, and that is no longer enslaved.com. And um, my book, as you mentioned, I wrote a book called The Roots of the Federal Reserve. 
that's available on Amazon also through my website. Um, I uh, narrated my book, so it's also available on Audible. And then as we were talking before we started recording, um, I'm very excited because the Spanish version of my book should be published um, by the end of January. So I'm very excited about that. Yeah, that's definitely huge because I have a large Latin community, uh, Latin, sorry, have a lot of Latinos listening to the show And uh, my family members would love to get a kick out of this. They'll get a, see how I'm stuttering. They'll get a kick out of this (laughs) because I mean, they come from a Protestant background and they don't know how to connect conspiracies. I'm a, I'm the kook of the house. They know that I'm crazy. And um, it'll be awesome to like, give them a little bit of information of where the federal reserve actually, you know, uh, according to your book was connected to the Bible and the Nephilim. So that's Mm -hmm. huge. And I remember that we had an amazing conversation. uh, I believe it was in January back at that that episode so if you haven't listened to that episode ladies and gentlemen make sure you check it out it's called the federal reserve with dr lauren sanger and also check her out at uh no longer enslaved.com i and if you can't find her for any odd reason you could also find her on paranoidradio.com she's under our guests and links on the drop down menu that's right now doctor you're here to speak about what is spiritual mapping so I did my little digging. I had to watch a couple of videos. I watched one of your videos and uh, I kind of learned what it is, but I want to, I'm going to allow you to just, you know, set the mood. What is spiritual mapping? Well, um, I'm thrilled to be able to share about this because I think, um, you know, it's so important for us to understand the spiritual dynamic of the communities that we live in, because it does impact us. So essentially what spiritual mapping is, is it's, it's kind of, it's gathering information about the physical, social, and spiritual pulse of a community, a city, a state, an institution, you know, whatever it is, the Lord has us focused on for that mapping assignment. And what we do is we dig through historical information to uncover the ancient roots of uh, defilement. And so there's three components to spiritual mapping. There's reconnaissance, there's mm-hmm. research, and then there's informed intercession. So with reconnaissance, what we'll do is we'll send teams of people out onto the land um, to walk the land and pray and get a sense of, okay, what has happened here? What What is the spiritual dynamic that's um, operating in this territory? Mm-hmm. And a biblical example of this is um, when Moses sent uh, the 12 spies into the land of Canaan. And then when Joshua sent the two spies into the land of Jericho, also Mm -hmm. in the new Testament, when apostle Paul, you know, when he would go into new cities, you know, on his missionary journeys, he would walk the city first to get an idea of what was the spiritual dynamic that would allow him to be able to effectively pray, but also it would inform him as to the best way to speak to them about who Jesus is. So that's some biblical examples of reconnaissance. So that's what we do. We'll go walk the land, whatever um, assignment the Lord has given us. And, mm-hmm. you know, the people on our team, these are people who are gifted in being able to hear the voice of the Lord. We can see into the spiritual realm. We also um, even feel things in our body um, that, you know, when you walk on the land, for example, um, For me, I can feel dizzy and get a headache when there's witchcraft that's operating on the land. And so because I know that from years of experience, when I feel that, I realize, okay, so there's some witchcraft here. So anyways, we'll take a bunch of notes and then we pair that with the research component. 
So the research component involves, um, you know, digging through historical documents, we'll um, obtain demographic data, we'll interview mm. local people to kind of get their sense of what's happened on the land. And then also reading through old newspaper articles about the city or the area, that's really helpful too. Wow. And then we take all of that information and we pull it together and we write up what's called a spiritual mapping prayer brief. And that will have these targeted prayer strategies to help inform intercession. Because really what we want to do with spiritual mapping is we want to equip intercessors. And intercessors are those people that are praying for the land, for people. You know, they, they're they the go-between. They, um, they intercede on behalf of others before the mm-hmm. Lord. And so we want to equip those people to be able to strike at the root of the issue. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things that we've discovered over the years is there's four types of iniquity that Uh can establish a stronghold over a territory. The next point, yeah. um, Mm -hmm. Sexual perversion, idolatry, broken covenants, and bloodshed. And so what we're doing as spiritual mappers is we're ascertaining, has this happened in the community? Because again, we want to equip intercessors to be able to pray and break off curses that are attached to the land. We want to break off, um, you know, or uproot those wicked structures that have been established and then release Uh the full measure of blessing that God has. Because the ultimate goal of spiritual mapping is really to see people set free and to step into their God-given purpose and also in communities to see transformation And what I mean by community transformation is, you know, when, um, when people are praying their fervent, um, prayers and, and they're offering up this intercession and persevering in intercession, often what can happen is that releases the power of the gospel to, to move throughout the community. And when this happens, people in the community will come into a revelation that Jesus is the son of the living God and they'll surrender their lives to him. And what happens then is you see, you know, rapid church growth and, and this is what people term revival. Well, what sets transformation apart from revival is that in transformation, not only do you see rapid church growth, but you also see um, changes, enduring changes in the community on multiple levels. Mm-hmm. So examples go. would be like, you'll see um, crime rates drop. You'll yeah. see broken marriages restored. So there's less divorces. Look You'll at that. see yeah. businesses begin to flourish. So then mm-hmm. bankruptcies will drop. You'll mm-hmm. also see, um, you know, even in the schools, like principals and teachers will be open to having students come and pray yeah. or have Bible studies. That's huge. Yeah. yeah. And then even, you know, you'll see um, politicians and mayors, they'll begin to engage in, you know, large scale prayer gatherings. So those are just some of the examples of what transformation looks like in a community. And there's, um, there's actually five factors that contribute to transformation. And these were identified by George Otis Jr. And he's probably the foremost expert in spiritual mm-hmm. mapping. He's the one that coined the term back in 1991. And so he has found that um, persevering leadership in the Christian churches. So this would be like pastors and senior ministers that are dedicated to that community. So they're not, you know, moving around just after two years or something like that. But these are people that have stayed for decades in the community. So that's one factor. Another one is 
what I mentioned, that fervent united prayer, uh-huh. then social reconciliation, public power encounters. And what I mean by that is, um, I'll just give you an example. So I was in Columbia, Tennessee um, in the summer sometime. I've traveled so much. I forget. I think I it know. Was I saw your images. Amazing <laughs> stuff. <laughs> yeah. So I was um, there in July. And one of the things that I had the privilege of doing is being part of Charity Gale's um, live recording of her new worship album. And she's a, a singer, songwriter, uh, worship leader. Yeah. And it was just a remarkable time of corporate worship. I've been in a lot of corporate worship settings in my life, and this was probably top five easily. It was so profound and the presence of the Lord was magnificent. So come to find out um, a couple of days later, two psychic operations were shut down in the city following that worship. And so that's an example of a power encounter. Now, it wasn't anything that we were praying against anything like that. We were just offering up true worship. And I'll talk more about this as we get further into the interview. But that's an example of a public power encounter. Then (laughs) then the fifth, I'm blowing your mind, huh? The fifth factor uh, in community transformation is the diagnostic research or spiritual mapping. Yeah. So what um, George Otis has found is that there's two the two factors that are present in every example of transformation that he's documented is the enduring leadership within the Christian church and then the fervent united prayer. Those are like the two pillars of community transformation. So if those two things exist in a community, then spiritual mapping can set the stage for transformation. Mm-hmm. Um and just lastly, one, one thing to think about spiritual mapping, it's kind of like, it's, it's really this methodical approach to prayer and research. So it combines the subjective, which is the, the revelation that comes through discernment yeah. and it combines it with the objective. And that is the research documentation. And this is where you probably, I think you even quoted me because I, I say that yeah. like technically spiritual mapping is the intelligence that allows spiritual warfare to be effective. Yeah. And like it's a you tool. said, it's it a is. weapon. Yeah. And, and wow, that testimony, it, it, it connects in so many levels to my experiences. And I, I'm sorry if I interrupted, I just needed to yeah. say this Yeah. because this is when, so for example, again, I'm just, just uh, connecting dots here. Uh, when I was younger, that we had the 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 church that my family was uh, congregated in would have different sessions. They would have all oh, this marriage is falling apart. Let's go pray for our brothers and sisters. They'll go to the home and they will take the strongest ministers, the strongest pastors from different chains of different uh, the churches, three four different pastors and other uh, deacons or, or or whatnot, and they will start praying until something manifested greatness in that household. And same thing. But on a larger scale in a city, in a village, in a, you know, wow, it's it's huge. And then you'll have these people, their morale will be up, their integrity would be, would be up. They will start going to church more often. Economically, they'll be doing better. They'll pray for all many different things. It's huge. It's huge. The power, yeah, yeah. the power of manifestation, you know, first yeah. was the word, the vibration, the the energy and, and the Holy Spirit. Wow. Yeah. Blew my freaking mind. All right. Sorry <laughs> to interrupt. Well, so, and, and I think with, you know, with spiritual mapping, there 
one of the things that's important to understand is this interaction between iniquity and strongholds and how um, that can be established. So um, I think it would be helpful maybe if I explain a little bit about how iniquity can create a stronghold and then what a stronghold is and how that affects the people that live under that stronghold. Stronghold as in negative, like yes. a evil presence, negative yeah, actions. So good, negative. That's a great question because in scripture, the word stronghold um, can be used. It's both positive and negative. So both good and bad because David calls the Lord his stronghold. Um, and that is like a strong tower, a refuge. But then stronghold can also be um, like a demonic territorial stronghold over um, a city or region, a nation. So that's a good question. So let me let me first kind of um, explain what I mean by iniquity, because sometimes people don't understand the difference between sin and iniquity. Mm. So iniquity essentially is a pattern of sin. And it comes out of having a depraved mind. So if you think of sin, like missing the mark, iniquity is again, this pattern that comes out of having a heart that's set on evil ambition. Yeah. So one yeah. way to think about it is you think about sin, like a single strand of yarn, iniquity then would be strand upon strand woven together to form this thick cord. And I'll give some examples. So, um, forms of addiction can be iniquity. So drug and alcohol addiction, sexual addictions, um, also forms of violence. So domestic violence, child abuse, satanic ritual abuse, even like adultery or lawlessness, um, manipulation, domination, intimidation in relationships. And then those others that I had mentioned earlier, you know, forms of sexual perversion, idolatry, broken covenants and bloodshed. So these are just some examples of what iniquity is. And so okay. when iniquity is committed in a community or a city, then that gives Satan an open door to establish a foothold. The author and of then, lies. Yeah. Yes. And then if the foothold is not dealt with through identificational repentance, it can become a stronghold. Now, um, identificational repentance, um, some folks aren't familiar with what that is. And there's biblical examples of this in Daniel 9, Ezra 9, Jeremiah 3, and Nehemiah 1. Um, and essentially what identificational repentance is not a prayer for um, someone who is dead. It's not absolving them of their sin and the responsibility of that sin before God nor is it vicarious repentance, meaning you're standing in substitution for someone else. Identificational <clears throat> repentance, what it does is it releases the current generation from the consequences of the sin of previous generations. So Whoa, repeat that we, one more time. This yeah, is so identificational okay. repentance is releasing the current generation from the consequences of sin from previous generations. Okay, I understand that. I see that. And so what, what's important to do when there's iniquity created in a land or, or um, carried out in the land, it has to be dealt with through repentance and through identificational repentance. Because mm. most often the people who are committing that iniquity are not asking for forgiveness themselves, but it can affect an entire territory. So for example, 
when there's a mass shooting, that is an iniquity of bloodshed that has happened on the land. And if that's not dealt with, then it creates a magnet for more bloodshed on that land. And that mass shooting affects the people in the territory. Mm. So as, as followers of Jesus, what we want to do when there's a mass shooting is we want to, and we've done this in Salt Lake because we had a mass shooting in one of our, um, our malls a mm. couple, about 15 years ago or so. Wow. We waited a few months because it's so traumatic. You know, you have yeah, to yeah. give time for people to um, deal with some of the trauma. But after a few months, we took a small team and we went to that mall and we prayed all throughout the mall. We prayed in the stores where there were people that lost their lives. Um, and we cleansed that land because we did not want that iniquity to to still remain in the land. Because I like you. I said, it it's a magnet that draws further bloodshed. Yeah. So um, that's why identificational repentance is so important. And um, uh, so again, if, if the iniquity is not dealt with, that foothold then becomes a stronghold. And a stronghold is like a net that entraps people. And we see this when um, we look at the Hebrew word for stronghold, it's matsud, and it means net, capture, castle, defense, fortress, to be hunted, a snare, and a strong place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it comes from the Hebrew root word sud, which means to lie in wait, to chase, to hunt, and to take provision. Now, what's interesting is that Hebrew root word, it has a figurative meaning um, to describe someone who lies in wait to catch a human. In other words, um, to entrap someone with the intent to exploit them for personal gain. Mm -hmm. And so iniquity can create then that stronghold where people are entrapped um, by the stronghold. Another way to think about it is if you think about like a fortified city, now in the Bible, Jericho was one of those cities, you know, it had impenetrable walls that controlled the flow of who come and went from the city. Well, that's what authorities, powers, rulers, and um, spiritual forces of darkness, they look to establish strongholds in cities because they want to take that territory and take the people captive that live there. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And so strongholds can be reinforced through our own personal iniquity but through generational iniquity in our family lines, and then also corporate iniquity that happens within a territory. Mm. And so when you think about it, there can be, you know, strongholds over cities, states, regions, and nations, but also over our mind. Um, and this is why it's so important. So when there's a stronghold over a territory, it affects the people that live there, whether they know it or not. And then people can begin <clears throat> to develop a stronghold in their thinking that directly connects to the stronghold over a territory. Yeah. You know, I've uh, connected some dots as you were explaining what iniquity and the stronghold means. So even through music, right? 1991. So I was just speaking about this with one of my colleagues and, and, and we were uh, discussing how rap music, for example, was about love about uh, how to get your girl back and R&B and it was you know talking about love and, and, and normal day stuff about regular people and then after 90, 1991 
as soon as the year started, we started receiving gangster rap and and the influential, and they were they started to pervert your mind. And where do those people glorify rap and rappers mostly in ghetto areas? Compton, Southgate, or just speaking for myself here in LA, South LA. And what happens through those areas? Uh, cheating, uh, divorce rate is up, prostitution still remains, drug abuse, everything, right? Everything you mentioned. And they have a stronghold, not only in the yeah. city, mm -hmm. but through the community and the culture. It's, it becomes normalized. And it's, it's not a conspiracy theory. You know, there was people in uh, the early 70s where a white man would get in Hollywood or Beverly Hills, which is, you know, glorified. He would be caught with Coke, an ounce of Coke. He'll probably get two years. But if you had a black man in Southgate that was gangbanging and you had maybe less than an ounce of uh, of crack cocaine, you'll do 15 years. And see, and that started becoming normalized. You wanted to be a gangster. You wanted to feed your family and be a pimp and backslap people, right? Like, and that became also cancer. It, it, it became the sickness. Yeah. So, and that still to this day remains a stronghold for evil, right? Then you have different states, for example, California, the entertainment capital of the world and Hollywood. And then you have, one of the it used to be the biggest state for pornography and now after a few uh, i think a few uh, laws went in i think five seven years ago where they couldn't have inter intercourse without um protection they moved to florida and you see there's a lot of different areas now that are booming with negativity washington dc has a bunch of freemason and demonic mm -hmm. uh, uh shapes and figures and, and locations and even the statues and 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 areas that are magnifying and, and amplifying the negativity around not only the city, but to the planet on a global scale. Mm -hmm. And this is huge because that, and then, you know, they, 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 it's, um, it's kind of like an amplifier of energy of negative energy at that. But what you're saying is that you can break through that and you could bring in and amplify the energy of God. That's huge, man. It's huge. Yeah. God's connect perfectly. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think what you're explaining are some great examples of what I'm talking about. And, you know, it's interesting um, back to thinking about how, um, you know, the stronghold over a territory can actually affect our thinking. I'll give you a biblical example of this. So when Moses sent those 12 spies into the land of Canaan, 10 of those spies came back with a negative report um, mm -hmm. and Israel believed the negative report. And this is Numbers 13, 28. It says, um, but the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. Now, Anak was a giant. So here these 10 spies are saying, look, guys, you know, this is the people that live there are giants. They're powerful. There's no way mm -hmm. we can go up against them. And their report was filled with fear and intimidation. And that really was the pervading attitude of the Canaanites. So what the Canaanites had done is they had stewarded their land in such a way to create this stronghold of fear and intimidation. So mm. then people that came onto their land came under that stronghold and were filled with fear and intimidation. And that's what happened with the 10 spies. But Joshua and Caleb, the other two spies, they come onto the same land under the same stronghold, but it does not affect their thinking. And that's because they learned how to take every thought captive. 
And 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Uh And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. See, they were able to see the same situation, the same circumstance, but through the eyes of the Lord, because they had that intimate relationship with God, they knew that the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob would uh, defend them and they would be able to defeat the the there's a, there's a word for that in Spanish. It's a, it's a phrase in Spanish. It's called uh, pisando y controlando. It means, I tell this to my wife all the time because she only speaks Spanish. And I told her, like, when I met you, you saw me. We crossed eyes. As soon as you stepped down those stairs in that club, I went cuckoo crazy for you. And I knew you were you, you're here to control. You were you stand in everything else. Every other pretty girl didn't mean anything. You were the center of attention. So kind of like that. I'm trying to visualize this. They walk into a city. <laughs> there might be, you know, skulls and stuff and people's, you know, speared. And they walk in there like oh okay there's trouble here but we're here to like we're here to clean things up we're here to dominate <laughs> that's right so that's, that's right yeah. and that's yeah. why caleb says in numbers 13 30 he says um we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it yeah, and yeah, i love totally. that i love caleb's yeah. you know can do attitude yeah now yeah. another um way to think about strongholds is um there's an author uh, tom white he wrote a book called a believer's guide to spiritual warfare and he defines a stronghold as an entrenched pattern of thought ideology or behavior that is contrary to the will of god mm-hmm. and so like i mentioned before a stronghold can develop in our thinking and we should never underestimate you know the power of our thoughts and we know from epigenetics that our thoughts behaviors and lifestyle choices can affect our body soul and spirit as well as future generations So our thinking can alter our genetic expression and that could make us, um, you know, susceptible to disease and illness. And that's precisely why it's so important that we interpret reality through the mind of Christ with the guidance of the Holy spirit. Otherwise our thinking is susceptible to just being influenced by culture or by this Nephilim agenda that I speak about. Yeah. Now, one of the things that I mentioned, you know, with epigenetics, there's this transgenerational component to it. There's fascinating research um, done by a a Swedish group of researchers back in 2006. Mm. The lead researcher, his name is Pembry. And what they did is they found that the eating and lifestyle choices of prepubescent boys affects their progeny for two generations, meaning that if boys around the age of 10, if they overate and or smoked, they had children and grandchildren with significantly shorter lifespans. And so what that shows is that, you know, our choices, which are called epigenetic signals, they actually alter the expression of our genes. And then that can be passed on to our children and grandchildren. Let me ask you, you're telling me that what you eat. So this is, you know, you are what you eat. Like you're, you're figured, I don't say literally, you're figuratively changing your genome, your gene, your, your, your physical being. Yes. If you eat, you know, I've been telling, I've been telling a lot of people, I've been telling them now I'm a, I'm a kook. I'm telling you, I'm a conspiracy theorist and I knew it. Like what you eat every day. If you only eat McDonald's, you're not only going to gain weight and get diabetes and and die of cancer because that's cancerous food. But you're also that you're crap. 
sorry that I didn't want to curse or anything, but you're you technically you are what you eat, and um, it, it controls your behavior, it controls the patterns, way of thinking, and then you have a baby with another woman that has the same thing, eating nasty stuff, drinking every day, doing drugs, and then your kid is born like that. Now that gene, that gene, you just pass it on. And your 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 body, a drop of blood has so much memory and so much information in it from ancestors before. And it's um this is why people have all these allergies now. They have all these wheat allergies and and they they can eat peanuts and stuff because you know the same thing. Their parents of parents of parents come through from a generation of poverty and eating only Mickey D's and you know etc cetera, etc. Cetera. So wow, it um you just amplified. You just put it in a biblical sense. Oh, you same thing. It's right in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why, you know, it's so important to understand that our poor choices become our children's bad predispositions. And it really sets the stage for strongholds to develop. So I think, you know, in, in looking at the big picture, that's why it's so important to understand these ancient roots <clears throat> of defilement that have been in the land, because if it's never been dealt with, you know, mm. the iniquity, <clears throat> excuse me, if that iniquity still remains, then, you know, it affects the people that live there. And that's why um, I think it's so important to do the research and the spiritual mapping and engage in the identificational repentance to cleanse the lamb. What? And really this all kind of ties together in the big picture of uh -huh. like the seed war. And I was going to ask you, yeah, the yeah. impact of the seed war. So we're down to the final two points here. So far, you're blowing my mind. And right in the middle of the show, I wouldn't want you guys, I want the guys, I want everybody to, to know where they can find you again. No longer slave.com. Check her out. Or uh, Laura, uh, Dr. Laura Sanger 444 Hertz. What's uh, what's it's, your hand on? It's Laura Sanger 444 Hertz. And that's for Instagram and also Telegram. Yeah, she's also on YouTube. I just checked out on YouTube. I watched a couple of videos to do you know, brush up on, on what we're going to be talking about today. Make sure you check her out, guys. All right, proceed. Let's go. <laughs> so um, one of the things that I think is fascinating is to take some of these spiritual mapping concepts that I've just shared mm -hmm. and now begin to step way back in time and understand the impact of the seed war all throughout history and particularly um, what I call ground zero, and that is Mount Hermon. And so um, before kind of diving into um you know, the history of Mount Hermon, I thought I would just give like a little bit of geographical information for people yeah. that are unfamiliar with where Mount Hermon is. Mm -hmm. So um, first of all, it's located in the Golan Heights. Um, it's about 120 miles north of Jerusalem. And it's okay. in the region that once was called Bashan. And I'll talk about Bashan in a moment. Mm -hmm. But the mountain itself is actually a cluster of um, three distinct peaks. Uh, the highest of those peaks is 9,232 feet. Now that's important because we'll come back to that in a moment. Mm -hmm. um, the summit actually straddles two nations, Syria and Lebanon. And the oh, south wow. facing slope is in Israel. And then back in 1974, uh, the UN established a base on the summit of Mount Hermon. And that was after a peace treaty between Syria and Israel. So it's very strategic that the UN has a base on Mount Hermon. Okay. Now, Mount Hermon also sits on the 33rd parallel. And I'll talk about uh, the significance of that too in a oh moment. Oh, God. Here we go. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, here we go. The, the other thing that's um, interesting is that on Mount Hermon now, um, there's a structure called Nimrod's Fortress and also the Temple of Pan. Mm. And so at the base of Mount Hermon are these springs of water that come forth and they combine to form the headwaters of the Jordan River. So all of that is significant. Now to kind of go back into time, you know, into the days of Noah, a portal was opened on Mount Hermon when the fallen sons of God descended upon it. And it was from that location that they lusted after the daughters of women. And they were willing to commit treasonous acts against almighty Elohim to fulfill mm -hmm. their lustful desires. Mm -hmm. Now, when we look at the Hebrew meaning of Mount Hermon, um, it really begins to unlock a lot of understanding. So the Hebrew word for Hermon is Hermon, and it comes from the Hebrew root word Haram, which mm -hmm. means to completely destroy, to exterminate, and to devote for destruction. And that's a term that denotes God's absolute disdain for particular acts of sin, sin particularly the mixing of species. So when God would call for Haram, he was calling for a holy war that would bring about punishment by total annihilation to those people groups that were spreading the hybrid race. Now, one of those holy wars was in the region of Bashan. So Bashan was known as the gate to the netherworld. And the aboriginals of Bashan are called the Raphaim. Now, it's long been a place that had been inhabited by the Nephilim and their giant offspring. And the most well-known among the Raphaim was King Og. Og was, a, he was a contemporary of Moses. And he was, um, you know, he reigned over this vast territory that included Mount Hermon. Huh. So Bashan, if you look up that word in Hebrew... <clears throat> It means fertile, stoneless piece of ground, but it also means serpent. And that is very um, descriptive of this territory because it really is the region of the serpent. And then what's fascinating is about 10 years ago, they mm. found a serpent mound in the region of Bashan. It's a three quarter mile serpent mound about a quarter mile from a megalithic stone circle called Gilgal Raphaim or Og's Wheel. And this serpent mound is about three times the size of the one in Ohio. So I was about again, to mention it. Yeah, I was, I was like, you stole it from my time. Yeah, because we, we did uh, crop circles and we were talking about the mound in Ohio. So you said it's three times bigger? Yes. It's huge. Yes. And this is old school Nephilim technology. I, I feel it in my gut. Okay, yes. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> now there's um, some interesting details about Og that I want to mention. Um, first of which is in Deuteronomy 3.11, it mentions King Og's bedstead and it measures it. Um, it says it's nine by four cubits. So if we assume that the royal cubit was used because he was a king, that would put his bed at about 15 feet long by five feet wide. And most scholars believe Og was about 12 feet tall. Now, uh -huh. one of the things that I absolutely love about scripture is these seemingly obscure details. You know, you can uh, like Og's bedstead, the size of his bed. Um, you can 
if you dig into scripture, you really unlock the depth of meaning um, in these, what most people would think, well, that's obscure. It Why goes over people's head. It goes totally. over people's head and they just like, okay, but they, they don't think about, okay, the size of the bed, ah, they don't care about the size of the bed. It's meaningless because they only preach about the message. But if you go back, they're telling you that this dude was a freaking giant. You know, yeah. he was huge, 12 feet tall. Think about it. Wow. Yeah. Bigger than Shaq. Well, even more significant than that, the size of his bed, actually, um, there's a connection kind of uncovering these ritualistic occult practices that he was involved in. And this is, I cover this more in depth in my book, um, but I believe this is the, the reason why God commanded Moses to haram Og and the Amorites. And it was because King Og's bed was the same size as the cultic bed in the Antimanaki ziggurat. Now, a ziggurat is a temple. It's um, a place where sacred marriages would take place, you know, between a goddess and a king or a god and a cult priestess. Well, mm. this Antimanaki ziggurat, most archaeologists identify it as the Tower of Babel. And so herein lies the significance. King Og's bed was the same size as the cultic bed in Babylon. So what Og was engaging in was sexual rituals, essentially, you know, um, ritualistic sex magic for breeding purposes. He was propagating the seed of the serpent. And so this holy war that was commanded by God was this epic battle in the seed war. And it was precisely why Moses had to haram Og and the Amorites because the Amorites had this defiled genome and every one of them had to be eradicated. Yeah, this is, this is textbook. I'm telling you, okay. Alistair Crowley, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, copied everything from this guy and he just redid it. Right. And then now, you know, he's <sighs> sex magic. Um, the dinners with the people, um, it's all ritualistic, but it's all magnifying same worshiping and, and, and witchery and evilness to amplify that message and, and make sure they have control over the minds of people. It's wild. It is wild. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, on some level, Moses must've understood the weight of this battle because here he was at the portal to the netherworld where King Og was engaging in this cultic sexual acts to spread the Nephilim genes far and wide. And here he shows up to represent almighty Elohim. And on that day, the Lord hands Og, the most famous of the Rephaim into the hands of Moses. And I think, you know, we can take great encouragement from Moses' victory on this day, because you think about it, Og was this formidable foe. You know, he had extraordinary strength. He's 12 feet tall. Um, not only that, but his armies were powerful and his cities were impenetrable. But mm -hmm. all of that was no match for the Lord. And, you know, I think this epic battle in the seed war is only outdone by the one in Jesus day at Caesarea Philippi. Now this, I absolutely love talking about this, this um, battle in the seed war, because it just shows the power in um, the name of the Lord and, and declaring his goodness. And so in Caesarea Philippi, first <sighs> of all, um, it, Caesarea Philippi was located um, at the base of Mount Hermon, the Southwest base of Mount Hermon. 
and it was um, the location of the worship of the Greek god Pan. Now, Pan was a hybrid god, half goat, half man, and it, uh -huh. he was highly sexualized. He was worshipped in the grottos and the caves. Well, Caesarea Philippi, being on the southwest base of Mount Hermon, it actually was built upon a rocky terrace. And so it was about 1,100 feet in elevation. Mm -hmm. And it was near the location where, in the Old Testament, King Jeroboam established a golden calf so the northern tribes of Israel could worship Baal. Mm -hmm. Also, it's near the location where the tribe of Dan worshiped idols. So this area, this territory, has long been a stronghold of darkness. It was wow. known as the territory of Baal, who's the Lord of the dead. And yeah. uh, 11,000, 11, the number 11 for all these ritual works is very important. And you mentioned also that it was on the 33 uh, parallel, which is very important for these dark entities and people doing all the evil worshiping. They they, they do the same thing over and over. It's the same different. It's the same. How do you say same book, different page, different trick. It's right. they, they just repackage it and they, re, they resell it to you. Right. Absolutely. So <laughs> in Jesus day, um, when he went to Caesarea Philippi, that was actually the furthest north that he traveled before turning, uh, returning back to Jerusalem where he was going to be crucified. And it was from this strategic location that Jesus asked the disciples in Matthew 16, he says, who do people say that I am? Well, Jesus was well aware that the ground he was standing on was known as the gate of hell. So here he arrived at the doorstep of the powers of darkness to declare that the triune nature of the almighty Elohim was serving them notice. Uh-huh. So then Peter makes this declaration and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Well, that was a prophetic declaration that marked a turning point in Jesus ministry. See, up until that time, he hadn't overtly taught the disciples about his death and resurrection. He had just yeah. hinted about it in the parable. <clears throat> and yeah. this was yeah. the first time that the disciples openly declared that he is the Messiah. And so this marked, like I said, a shift in Jesus ministry. He went from focusing on the crowds to now focusing on imparting truth and revelation to his disciples, because he knew his time was short. He knew he was going to return back to Jerusalem to be crucified on the third day resurrected. And then after 40 days, he would ascend to the father. And so the, the disciples would need to then step into their apostolic role. And so <clears throat> his ministry shifted in that moment. This is when he said, correct me if I'm wrong, what he said, and that's how I, that's where I shall build my church after he mentioned that he was the, the son of the living God. That's right? the next <laughs> passage I'm going to read. Yes. So Matthew <laughs> okay. 16, 18, he says, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now there's <laughs> all sorts of layers of meaning in this passage. First of all, when he renames Peter, Peter means rock. He's saying it from Caesarea Philippi, which is built upon a rocky ledge. Um, and he's also re um, referring to himself as Christ, the rock. Jesus yeah. himself yeah. is the rock. So it's I a think triple entendre. <laughs> yes. 
You know, I have a, I have a funny a Peter joke. Uh, Peter rejected Jesus Christ three times, but I think he did it because Jesus saved his mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, scripture, I don't know that much, but uh, I'm getting better at it. So uh, I've, I've, I've heard that he Jesus saved his mother-in-law somehow. And, and I think that's why he rejected him three times. <laughs> 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 who, who, who are who are me? Who are me to judge? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry about that. Oh, yeah. What's interesting, back to this passage, what's interesting is so often it's misunderstood to mean that, you know, the church is on the defensive and the gates of hell are pressing against it. But when you realize that gates are not an offensive weapon, gates are a defensive structure, you know, they protect a city. So what Jesus was doing is here he was at ground zero, the place where the coup d'etat was orchestrated by the fallen sons of God back before the days of Noah. And from this geographical location, you know, that has long been considered the entrance to the netherworld, Jesus' statement could not have been more dramatic in cosmic history. It reminds me of the movie Braveheart, you know, when William Wallace yells freedom, because mm -hmm. what Jesus is doing is he at the gates of hell, which are the gates of death, mm -hmm. Jesus Ugh. declared that death would not have victory over the church because death could not hold him in the grave. And then he goes on to say in Matthew 16, 19, it says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. And so the kingdom of God is on the offensive. And for those of us that are followers of Jesus, we have been given the keys to the kingdom. But unfortunately, you know, so many Christians don't live this way. They just hunker down and they play it safe. But yeah. we have been called to loose what's been loosed in heaven, to bind what's been bound in heaven, not to cower in the corner and play it safe. And then, so back to the story, this biblical story, six days later, the transfiguration takes place. Now, scripture does not delineate which mountain the transfiguration takes place on. Mm -hmm. So in the fourth century, Cyril of Jerusalem and his contemporary Jerome, they make in passing these statements that um, link the transfiguration to Mount Tabor. Now they don't explain why they drew that conclusion, but unfortunately, these casual statements in their writing were enough to cement the belief in Christian tradition that the Mount of Transfiguration was <clears throat> Mount Tabor. And for me, you know, this is astounding because it doesn't even align with some of the clues that were given in scripture. Mm. So, for example, Matthew and Mark, you know, they wrote two of the Gospels. In their Gospels, they talk about how um, the Mount of Transfiguration is this high mountain. Now, back to um, what I was talking about earlier, as far as the elevation there, they were just at Caesarea Philippi, that was 1100 feet, which is at the base of Mount Hermon, that's 9,232 feet, but mm -hmm. Mount Tabor is 45 miles away and it's only 1,866 feet. So the likelihood of um, the disciples referring to the Mount of Transfiguration as this high mountain, it most likely was not Mount Tabor, but instead Mount Hermon. So if 
if it's Mount Hermon, Jesus went to the very place where the Nephilim agenda was launched to transfigure into the fullness of his glory. And so his majesty was on display to the powers, the rulers, the authorities, the spiritual forces of darkness. So Jesus reclaimed Mount yeah, Hermon on that day. Mapped. He spirit mapped the entire freaking mountain. <laughs> yeah. And so oh, Mount wow. Hermon came under the authority of almighty Elohim on that day. And that's why I absolutely love talking about these epic battles in the seed war, because really we can learn a lot about spiritual mapping strategies yeah. so that we can walk in victory, you know, and, and be able to have, um, victory in our communities, see our communities transformed. Wow. Wow. That is the biggest, I, I want to say that that's the biggest example that is Spiritual mapping, and I'm sorry to say this, but spiritual mapping, your spiritual mapping, the, the amount of spiritual mapping you do compared to that, he he's giant. He demolished everything. And then not to mention also the dying on the cross. The cross used to mean uh, fear. It was fear-mongering. It was, I remember reading on, on some um, some books and online that the cross was, when you were seeing the cross coming into Rome, uh, excuse me, you will feel fear. You'll feel like, oh my God, kind of like what uh, Vladimir the Impaler would do to scare his enemies. Like you would walk into Rome, you would walk into this area, you'll be like, okay, if I betray Caesar, if I do anything against the government, I would get impaled or I'll be hung on a cross. And he came, he died on the cross and then resurrected three days later. It's huge. It's mm -hmm. huge. Spirit mapped the entire world and generations to come through scripture. That's huge, man. It's huge. Spirit mapping. Dr. Lauren Sanger, uh, uh, I'm cringed. <laughs> so much information to go through and uh, not enough time to speak on. I want you to, uh, to know that I am uh, extremely thankful for you coming on the show. I'm sorry if I'm out of, out of breath. I feel terrible. But um, you have the honor of uh, having open door policy here. Just come by whenever you want. You have a message for our listeners. And I want to thank you again for spending the time and spreading the knowledge and doing what you do. Uh, God bless you always. God bless everything you put your hands on and all your ideas manifest into greatness. I really pray that. I want that. I celebrate your wins and uh, I celebrate also your falls because we learn from them. And, you know, there's an old saying that Mandela said, he said, uh, I, I don't, I never lose. I just learn. So, we, we pick up, we, we, you know, we pray, we get stronger and we learn. And I pray that you always, you know, you're always encompassing his greatness every single day and every single listener as well. Do you have anything to tell the listeners as a final note? And please let us out. Let them know where they can find you. Yes. And just um, as an encouragement to recognize that there is power in prayer. And, you know, if we live in these um, communities where uh, there's a lot of crime or there's a lot of heartache, um, bloodshed, we don't have to live in fear. We can walk in the power of God um, and release that prayer that changes. It literally shifts the atmosphere where we live. Mm. And so I just want to encourage people with that. And then also, um, you know, if you have any other questions or you want to learn more about the spiritual mapping that I've talked about. I do have a YouTube channel. It's called no longer enslaved. Um, I'm also on rumble the same, no longer enslaved. And I have a seven part series called transformation through spiritual mapping. And mm -hmm. you can learn more about the power of prayer and how to shift atmospheres wherever you live. Yeah, absolutely. Make sure you check her out, check her out at no longer enslaved.com. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this is episode 199 with Dr. Lauren Sanger. She came, she conquered it. She blew it up and conquered it again. And she spirit mapped the entire show. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Lauren Sanger. You are the best. God bless you again. And every single one of you out there, stay tuned for episode 200 dropping this Friday with a collage of amazing podcasters. Thank you so much, Dr. Lauren Sanger. Have a beautiful day. Thank you. Take care. Paranoid Radio.